This, 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 this show is brought to you by Safety FM. Listeners, this is Glynis McCarthy, co-host of the Practice of Learning Teams podcast show. Learning Teams embraces and respects the need for functional diversity and the diversity of thought to be present and an integral part of organisational and worker learning. This approach acknowledges and makes visible the differences that exist between genders in the workforce in order to identify health and safety risks and implement, maintain and improve effective solutions. Today is an episode of our special podcast series on women's perspectives, adoption and approach on the new view of safety and learning teams, where I have a discussion with a woman who represents organisational leadership, industry advocacy, safety practitioner and the regulatory authority. We will explore that individual's own journey the role of gender in safety and the potential of the new view of safety and of learning teams. On today's show, we hear from Deirdre Lewis, General Manager, HSC, Energy Markets at Origin Energy. Deirdre is based in Sydney, Australia. Origin is one of Australia's leading energy companies, exploring, generating and delivering energy to over 4 million customer accounts. They have an important role to play in providing electricity, natural gas, solar and LPG to Australian communities and work every day to make energy more affordable, more sustainable, smarter and easier for customers. Please join me and my special guest Deirdre as we learn and improve together. Hello Deirdre, thank you so much for giving us some of your time today. Um, I was hoping that I could ask you a few questions just about um, really about how you got into this line of work, how you've stayed in this profession, what do you think some of the challenges have been, where your successes have been, um, and really just have a bit of a chat if that's all right. Um, so if I get started, can you tell us how did you get into this line of work? Um, it's actually a bit of a strange story, really. I started as a scientist um, or an experimental scientist working for CSIRO. Um, and um, and then I was offered an opportunity to set up a Greenfields laboratory in a food company um, doing um, essentially uh you know, uh, chemistry, biochemistry. Um, I kind of gone from biology to chemistry, biochemistry. Set up a f- analytical laboratory for a large f- food company in Australia, and ended up managing the quality system and the um, so quality assurance and 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 um, and the system element of it. And then um, one day there was uh, an industrial accident at one of the sites that I was um, supporting from a quality perspective. And I'd done a lot of work around standards and ISO and um, HACCP and those sorts of things. And when the industrial accident occurred, um, uh, it was like a, obviously a really big deal. This this individual lost his arm um, and the organisation really needed some help to um, adjust the systems or have a look at how their safety systems were working. And because I'd had a lot of experience in systems, 
um, I essentially help help that organization to reshift their system. Um, and then I got really interested in the safety system side of things um, and thought, well, this is actually quite different, not from a systems point of view, but from a humanistic point of view, I felt it was quite different from the quality side of things. So I, um, uh, I thought, well, where can I go to learn a little bit more about um, where safety is done differently or well um, from an industrial point of view. And I'd always worked sort of at the heavier end. Um, so I was really fortunate to get a job in the steel industry. So um, I went there and um, that's how I got into safety systems, if you like. So it was quality, safety, environment, um, and uh, systems. So that's kind of the safety bit. And then as soon as I got there, I realized that um, I can manage systems really well. I know how to set up an ATA accredited laboratory. I know how to, you know, I know how to do that um, and was able to manage that really well. But from a humanistic point of view and from a people point of view, I was really very green around the ears in terms of safety. So I sort of started to really learn my craft in the steel industry from a safety point of view. Um, and then I, and I, um, did a lot of the traditional safety stuff and then moved into oil and gas. So that's kind of how I ended up with a safety bent, if you like, but really my background's science and quality and then morphed into safety. So it's kind of a strange pathway. Um, but I have stayed in safety and that space because I just find it super rewarding. I think that there's so much opportunity to um, improve the way people work and live and it's it's quite complex. And so um, I've found that every day is a day where you can influence a leader um, or every day is a day where you can influence a worker or, um, and I feel like I'm learning every single day about something new. So that's how come I've stayed, I think. So, yeah. By the sounds of it, you started off in something in, in an industry that was quite male dominated in the steel sector. Um, what were some of the issues that you face as a female health and safety professional? Oh yeah, it's it's quite interesting because all of the places I've worked have been very male dominated, including CSIRO back in the day. I think that um, certainly in the steel industry, it, it, my first site I worked on, I think was like 400 men and me. Um, so <laughs> it was very male dominated. And I think some of the challenges I had was about being credible. So you kind of had to, like the words people would use would, you'd have to earn your stripe or um, or there was language that was, um, I guess, uh, quite um, a, a boys club sort of language. And so not just the language, but then in the meetings, you were the only female in most of the meetings. And I think that's really continued very much all the way through my career. It's only really starting to change now, probably in the last three or four years. But um, I think the challenges are that you're often the only woman in the room. Often you're um, a, a, a person who might have a different point of view or you're not in the boys club. So you might have um, something to offer that might not necessarily be something that others have heard before. So they don't understand what you're trying to say. So how you come across in those environments um, is really important. And it can be quite intimidating if you're um, in those environments and you're not, you're not 
you're the only voice. Um, if if you one have a differing point of view, but also two as a woman. So I think sometimes you get um, you, it, it's tricky because um, often. Um, you know, you'll say something and then three minutes later, um, a man might say the same thing and everybody's like high-fiving going, oh, what an amazing thing you just said. I'm like, well, didn't I just say that like five minutes ago? So it's kind of, it's, I've had a lot of that across my career and I think that's quite challenging. So you almost have to, I think certainly I felt that particularly earlier on in my career that I had to be the best of the best of what I did to even earn a seat at the table um, and I had to prove myself um, once I got there versus it um, like a, 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 what I saw with men generally was that they had got their seat at the table um, they didn't they didn't have to prove it once they got there so they would have had to have earned it like everybody else but I think um, um, I felt a lot more onus on me to prove that I was valid sitting in the chair. That's been a really yeah. consistent theme as I've spoken to other women who've, who you know, are very successful in this profession, is that they've really had to kind of own their stories. Um, they've really had to step up and make sure that their voice is heard and often have had to go on and really challenge the status quo. Um, many of the other women that I've spoken to, one of the things that's been really important in terms of their career path are having role models along the way. What about for yourself? Have you had any sort of standout role models throughout your career? Um, there's been a lot of people who've been really good role models. So I've had some um, really excellent um, coaches if you like so some have been um accidental coaches and some have i've you know i've gone and said well you're really good at that um can you teach me how to do that or how do you break through with that so a lot of it's been me seeking out those people who've got skills that can push through that maybe i was struggling with so there's been people like that there's also been people that um you know i've really um connected with um that have helped me from a role modeling point of view but it's quite interesting because i was reflecting on this not very long ago but i've never had a female boss and um and i've never worked i guess um in an environment where there was a lot of women so from a female role model point of view um from a, a hsc professional space um I haven't really had one in a from a female role model to follow. I think there's lots of great women out there, but I think um, it's almost like we sort of sit at a certain level in organisations. There are other fantastic women, and I think um, my organisation now is employing some really amazing women at a, a senior level in other uh, in other roles, like in general counsel and um, in, you know, uh, external comms and those sorts of things. Um, that's fantastic. But I think um, it's been slow, I think, to have fem females in those roles. Um, but I'm just so grateful for having some really fantastic male advocates. And I think, um, you know, having um, uh, men who really want to see uh, good talent, um, proceed through the organization has been really helpful to me because people have you know people who they've given me a go where perhaps a bias might be to give the role to somebody else who was was a man yeah 
Yeah. Um, you've said that the, you're starting to see a change in the health and safety profession. So I take it that you're starting to see more women come into the profession, um, as well as a kind of a diversity in the profession. How important is it for you now to act as a coach and mentor to others, whether it be women in your team or whether it be other people that maybe have come into the profession from, say, a different pathway? Oh, I think it's it's super important. And I think uh, one of my old bosses said to me, it's all very well talking about diversity. You have to hire for diversity. Um, and so it's the act of hiring. So personally, I hired the best talent. You just have to go looking for female talent as well as male talent and then have a pool that you can draw from. So I think um, often... Um, there's a there's a lot of great female talent out there. I think it's just harder to find because um, often they'll stay with an organisation longer, or they might be less willing to put their hand up, or they might also be less able to um, articulate their talent in an interview in the traditional way that men might present themselves. So, um, so I think it's really important to hire great women um, so I think that's the first thing and then I think it's also really important to make sure that you support your women particularly in male-dominated workplaces because it is really tough so um, you know and there's many many ways that you can support um, your talent be they male or female or, or diverse in other ways inside your workplace that I think sometimes gets overlooked so um you know, even just having a safe space where you can have a conversation about things when it's really tough or, um, you know, uh, having a cohort that might not be in your, um, your specific field, but where people can feel like they've got opportunities to develop or meet other like-minded people or people who have differing point, points of view. But that collaboration and really thinking about the overall diversity of both your own team but also your organization is super important so I think to answer your question you've got to hire for diversity and then once you've hired for diversity you have to support diversity and that's in how you include people in the conversation how you embrace a different point of view making sure that you don't hire many me's which is always a um, temptation because it's so much easier to manage um, people who are like you or think like you. So it's quite challenging hiring people who are different or managing a team that are very diverse. Um, so you have to be prepared for that as a leader yourself. Um, and also I think you have to have enough emotional intelligence, I think, to be able to suspend your own judgment when you're listening to um, your talent. You've hired them because they're talent um, and because they will challenge you and because they will have a differing point of view to you. So I think, especially if there's pressure or there's challenge in the environment that you're working in, whether it's external or internal challenge, that you continue to value the diversity. Um, when I listen to you, one of the things that um, really comes across strongly, if I think about some of your successes, I suspect, um, based on the fact that you've come from a kind of a science background, so you're looking for evidence, but at the same time, you come across to me as if you're brave and you are, you can put your foot forward and challenge where you need to challenge, and you want to really embrace that diversity, to really look at things from different perspectives. If I was to turn it back on you, though, and ask you what you think some of your successes have been that have led you to where you are now, what would you say? Um, 
So there's probably a lot of technical success that I could talk about. So I've had a lot of technical success. So um, whether it's things like, you know, implementing a, a system of load restraint or all those technical things you can do. So I'm really good at, I guess, execution and project management. So I think that's really helped me to gain credibility. But if I think really around what my successes have been personally, it's been much more about finding finding my voice in the first place and now that I've found it then how do I use it so um, at first I didn't think I had a voice um, but it was sort of me going well I do have it but I'm not sure how to express it so I think that's been part of my own journey from a professional point of view so the technical stuff is just it's it's stuff that you can do and execute well not everybody has that skill but that that is certainly my skill set I can do that very well and I think then it's about finding your story linking it to your value and your own purpose and then um, finding courage to step outside what people expect if that's what you really believe in and that can come with a lot of risk like personal risk it, it comes with emotional vulnerability it comes with all these things that I think in um, society and not just in work are seen as um, weakness is probably a strong word but it's probably seen as less of a managerial um, strength so those people skills are not often as highly valued as their skills in execution so what I would say is that personally I think being able to develop my leadership skills has been one of the things that has been part of not just my own personal success but also I think brings me into a, di a different place as a professional. And that's been another really consistent theme about this notion, I suppose, of vulnerability. So really being able to appraise your skills and to look where you need to gain, get some growth, but also to do it from multiple perspectives. So again, that kind of that vulnerability, I suppose, comes from not having to sit in the position where you're the expert but actually working collaboratively with others and allowing them that space at times to be the expert and then kind of constructing something together. Yeah, I, th I think it's really interesting because I think um, whether it's a HTC professional or it's an engineer or it's a it's a commercial person or whatever it is, often organisations, and if I think about this, I mean, really um, people are experts so you know there's a lot of expertise out there and like I was saying before you kind of get rewarded for certain things as part of your career and whether it's execution or expertise that's kind of the thing that's um, held up as your yeah, people anchor to that um, and I think part of the um, the challenge and the opportunity is to admit that nobody can be an expert in everything right so um there's a there's a piece there about going well i'm a I, I can be still an expert in some things but i'm not an expert in learning teams for example or i'm not an expert in um how to um you know I, I don't know whatever it might be um and i think within your own sphere so we let's just take you know hsc there's a lot of stuff i'm not an expert on in hsc and so i think um when you hang your hat on expertise and that's how you define yourself as a leader, then it's always going to be really challenging to 
change or to adapt or to evolve. Um, and so I think when you're talking about vulnerability, part of that as a professional, whatever profession you're in, is actually to admit that um, it's okay not to know everything and then to go and find out, particularly when things are changing at such a rapid pace. Um, if you think about even just the last 12 to 18 months of COVID, I mean, everything's changed it's so rapidly. How can anybody be an absolute expert in anything that they were doing before because it's all changing so rapidly so we're all trying to change um and then i think it's about really sitting back and going well um is it okay do i feel okay not being the expert in this and can i sit and learn as well i'm a student to this as much as anyone else is and i think once you do that it's quite interesting what happens because you give others as as a senior leader for example like i am it gives others license to not be the expert either and so what i've seen with my team is that that anxiety about oh i'm not going to be able to run a learning team for example it, it goes away because like well you're an expert in asking questions aren't you you know or you're an expert in understanding your stakeholders aren't you um and so you know i think people sometimes have this hesitancy it's like well you don't have to be an expert in everything to be able to bring your expertise to what you're doing today so um the fear um can go away pretty quickly if you support your people and support diversity i think you just have to give people the confidence and and help them find their own courage yeah look i wholeheartedly agree with you um i think that you know we, what we really need to be able to do is to look and evaluate where people do bring strengths and do bring expertise and really learn to how do we come alongside those people and harness that expertise if you were thinking about how you might support somebody coming into the field, so whether that be a, a young female health and safety professional, whether it be a, a male health and safety professional, how would you support them to kind of develop that complexity of, of skills at the same time kind of still keeping touch with that vulnerability? How would you, how would you help them to sort of, or how, what guidance might you give them to, to, through that journey? Yeah, I think... Um... I, I think probably the first thing I would do is to um, explain to them how important it is to understand the context in which they're working. So I think um, sometimes we undervalue this idea of, well, you really need to understand the business if you're going to partner with the business or if you're going to be part of the journey of an organization you need to really understand how it works and who you're working with so um, I think a young person coming into the HC space um, get out into the business get out there and work with the people who are doing the work understand how work is happening understand some of the challenges and um, understand the success be curious not just asking questions that are binary um, and and try and build trust because once that trust is built particularly as a young person in organizations it's it's in many ways young people have got this great advantage because they are quite curious like they're, they're probably more curious than I am I've got to, I've got to think about being curious now because I've had so many years of um, you know being in my profession but a young person if you can instill curiosity in them around the business operation how the organization 
evaluation functions, they will learn how complex it is by just being there. And then I think what you can do and what I do is to try and get people to understand how they fit into the machine, if you like, of an organisation. So, you know, where they are in terms of the um, complexity in organisation and then how we can add value um, to our organisation through supporting um, um, getting better, if that makes sense. Often a lot of what I do isn't actually safety related. It's, um, you know, you'd hope that when you hire somebody um, and they're a great person for the job, that they've got a lot of that stuff under their belt already, whether it's in a kit bag from either straight out of university or um, in some other way. Um, what you really tend to find that where people are a little bit less experienced is really understanding the context of the business or understanding how to really engage um, in a conversation that's not an audit-like conversation. So I'll see people who, it's quite interesting when I'm hiring that sometimes I'll see people who are very systems orientated um, and that's the world I've come from. So I kind of recognize that and, and I certainly had a very systems lens when I first started. And then I see these other people who are unbelievably brilliant because they come up through an operational um, uh, place. So they're very operationally focused and they kind of get it because they come off from the shop floor often. But what you don't see as much of is people who've got both. So um, it's really interesting then trying to kind of find a way to develop people to have a crossover. So if a systems person, you really need to get them to understand operation. And then from an operational lens, you need to get them to understand the interface with systems and how important that is. And then how to manage up and also how to manage down and, and good communication, I think. So it's less the technical stuff, I think, more the, more the people call it soft skills, but I call it hard skills. <laughs> and I call it whole person skills. You know, that ultimately what we want, we want more than a beating heart. Um, we want somebody that can communicate. We want somebody who can problem solve, that can make good decisions based on good rational facts. Um, you know, we want people that can work collaboratively. We want people that can facilitate for others so that others can do critical reflection. We want so much. You know, we want, we want a whole person rather than a part. Um, I really, I really appreciate what you're saying in terms of often people come from the lens of the system and then others come from the lens of the doing and it's quite challenging at times to marry those two things together. Hi listeners, this is Amy Polly, the AI producer of this podcast series. This podcast with Glynis and Deirdre was an amazing conversation that carried over an hour. We have split the podcast into two chapters. Please join us in episode 36, chapter 2, as we continue to learn and improve together. Thank you listeners for being part of this podcast. We would love to hear your learnings or other topics you would like us to explore about learning teams. Go to www.podcastlearnings.com and give us your feedback. Become part of the community of practice with learning teams. Go to www.learningteamscommunity.com. Support the authors of the practice of learning teams. Purchase the book from Amazon.com or go to www.learningteamsbook.com for an inside look and other free book resources from the authors. 
The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise, without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen.